it does remind us of our present need. See, the people who are mourning, the people who are poor in spirit, they really are mourning. They really are poor in spirit. It's not some pretend mourning. It's not pretend fake, uh, poor in spirit. But it takes on a new meaning. It takes on an upside-down meaning when we focus on the future. See, the present needs, the present hardships are reframed by the future, knowing that a remedy is at hand, knowing that we will not be overwhelmed by unjust approaches to us. Because when we raise our minds to heaven, there is a new source of joy that will dispel our sadness. John Calvin summarizes uh, the Beatitudes like this. It's incredible, isn't it? That when we look at Jesus' words 2,000 years ago, it continues to ring true today. And the human condition has remained largely the same. Calvin says this about 500 years ago. Christ spoke to his disciples about true happiness. We know that not only the great body of people, but even the learned themselves hold this error, that he is the happy man who is free from annoyance, attains all his wishes, and leads a joyful and easy life. But the disciples of Christ must learn that the philosophy of placing their happiness beyond this world and above the affections of the flesh. That's the true kingdom life, isn't it? To have that view. Now, perhaps as you look at the Beatitudes, it's all too poetic and not practical enough for you. Well, Jesus actually gives us three examples where this kingdom identity, this kingdom view of life comes through. So three examples. The first one is we rejoice when reviled. The first distinctive comes through here in verse 11. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. People who stand up for Jesus will be emphatically spoken against. We know that much in the Bible. It is time and time again reminded. We're time and time again reminded of that. But when you are reviled, rejoice. Rejoice because your words, what you stand up for, what you say, see, it's true. It's not about people pleasing. It's not about showing off how good you are. It's not about building a facade so that people might mistake you as a good person. You are declaring the truth, God's truth. See, isn't it so true that in life we can be opinionated about so many things? Uh, you know, my, my wife is a, is a new, relatively new mum, and she was recently introduced to all the mummy blogs on Facebook groups and things like that. And people have so many opinions about how to raise children, don't they? Or maybe if you're in the finance sector, you know, there's so many different ways to you know, grow your money or spend your money wisely. People can be so opinionated about so many things. And perhaps we have all sorts of opinions ourselves. But this is not about that. This is not about when people just speak against you. It's speaking against you when you stand up for Jesus, not your hobby horse. And I know this is true of me. I don't know about you. When it comes to standing up for Jesus and not how we should be spending our money or, or you know, what sort of car is, is a great one, I'm so much more shy. I'm way less forward. See, we often stand in fear of being slandered and persecuted. And we see that much in the newspapers, don't we? 
but distinctive kingdom people find their strength, find their voice, find their resilience in the face of attack, not in this life, not in this world. It's an otherworldly strength because our reward is also an otherworldly wage. See, the payment for being faithful and firm is to be counted amongst the men and women, this long line through history, who have tried to honour God and have done so. See, when we take on this view, we will have a, you know, our hardships will not be supernaturally wiped away, but we will have a supernatural reward of joy and strength today. Distinctive kingdom people speak with this distinctive backbone, this distinctive strength. The second example for us is to do exactly that, be distinct and not diluted. Again, verse 13, here it is. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. See, back in the day, people gathered salt in more primitive ways. Often, or one of those ways is to dry out seawater, but you would also get mixed in with your salt all kinds of, you know, uh, grains and sands and things like that, probably. And if you got a bad batch where there was so much stuff mixed in with salt, the salt was so dilute, it wouldn't even be worth taking home, right? Don't take it home. Just chuck it back on the ground, and it'd be a, it's a pile of nothing. Don't waste your time. Don't bring it home. It's absolutely useless. Well, the same is the person who is only Christian in name, but not in substance. The same is the person who likes the forms and the ideals of Christianity, but doesn't actually live with conviction. Their identity hasn't been transformed by who Jesus has said there is. Well, Jesus is saying, why bother? Why bother saying you are about the love of God if really all your relationships in life reflect the opposite, that you are self-centered fundamentally. You are not God-centered or other person-centered. Why bother saying you trust God wherein really you live your life, you format and structure your life in a way where actually you build it up. You don't walk in faith. See, to lose your distinctive, to lose those things that Jesus say exactly what the kingdom is about, is to be not that thing at all. Salt that is not salty is utterly worthless. Kingdom people who don't have a kingdom identity and don't live kingdom lives, well, what's the point? Finally, the last example is to be shining in our Christian lives and not shying away. Here's the last one, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, kingdom living engages the world. It doesn't hide. Light comes to shine in darkness. Light doesn't have any other option. A light always shines. That's the distinctive function of a light. And we are light bearers. We shine that light into all sorts of corners and crevices in our own life, and as we do so, we witness to the world. Kingdom living, kingdom words, ultimately show people the king. See, as we, as we go about these distinctive lives, we are pointing other people 
to the truth we see here today. This otherworldly reality. We're pointing people to God. Distinctive Christian lives point away from the world and sometimes even away from ourselves and to God. See, committing to follow Jesus and to adopt this kingdom view has an impact today. See, not only does it transform our own lives inwardly, but also transforms how we interact outwardly. So disciples of Jesus, citizens of the kingdom, will not be indistinguishable from the world, but they also won't be inaccessible from the world. They are not hermits. They will come into the world speaking God's truth. They will engage the world. So there's the three examples of this kingdom living. But maybe as we finish off, and as we think about this, I want to ask you, I think some, one of the ways that this can be pressed onto our hearts is to ask you, have you seen this before? Have you, do you know someone who lives like this? That is so countercultural that it almost doesn't make sense. There's a lady in my church who's been recently diagnosed with uh, late-stage lung cancer. She's a mother of four. Uh, her husband actually finally became a Christian uh, in this particular stage. She's been chipping away at him and praying for him for years and years. But you see, in the midst of this terrible news about her health, she remains the strongest in her family. Where did she get that from? See, how can you smile and persevere through the pain of that? How can you continue to trust God when something so terrible has come into your life? It almost doesn't make sense, does it? There's another man I know who's in ministry and works amongst the city workers. From a young age, he was diagnosed with early-onset arthritis. His whole life has been plagued with pain and injections of all sorts of things. He continues to be one of the, the, you know, smiles all around, continues to encourage people in their faith. He recently became a quadriplegic because of of a blood poisoning thing that came from a, a wisdom tooth. Oh my goodness. What do you do with that when life takes a downturn like that? We visited him recently. You know what he continues to do? He continues to read his Bible. He wants to encourage people in the faith. How can he do that? It almost doesn't make sense, does it? Have you seen that around you? Perhaps you haven't. And I know for some people, in fact, they've seen the opposite. It's very discouraging that when a big wave hits into your life, that actually turns them away. It weakens their faith. So perhaps maybe not only have you not seen those things and been encouraged by them, you've seen the very opposite. Well, for you, there's actually one place we can all turn to. There's one place where we can all see this, where we see this life of the kingdom. Well, that's because the life of the kingdom that's presented to us today is the life of the king. Jesus is not asking us to live in a way that he doesn't. See, the Beatitudes tell us about our king. 1 Peter says this, For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving for you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. 
By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. See, as we have been talking about this kingdom life, Jesus actually lives it himself. He shows us what it means. See, the, the, the life we're living, we live in following the footsteps of the king. See, Jesus rejoiced when he was reviled. He continued for the joy set before him in completing his mission to bring us back to God. His words, his life was a testament to that. See, he tasted the full sting of death, but he remained on course. He did not lose his distinctiveness. He is the light in our darkness. This is how we were brought to life and so how we live. See, friends, as you reflect on the kingdom life today, perhaps you do want to think about the people that God has blessed with this sort of strength and faith in, in, that you've seen. Perhaps you've gone through some of this yourself. Give great thanks to God if you've seen that growth. Perhaps you've seen the opposite in those around you or maybe even in your own heart. Well, the encouragement we can all have today is to look to Christ. When we reflect on the Beatitudes, when we reflect on a distinctive Christian life, know that we are following the King, no one else. Let's pray. Father God, we are grateful that you teach us how to live. That, Lord, you do not merely tell us that we are saved to a new life and leave us on our own. So, Father, help us this morning as your family reflect on what it means to really come alive as you speak these words to us. A life that is not merely superficial or imitating Christian ideals, but one that has a kingdom identity through and through. Lord, search our hearts. Bring this light of your gospel and shine it into the corners and crevices that perhaps we have been resisting you in, or perhaps we simply haven't been intentional in bringing your truth into. Lord, this is your work. We ask that you do it this morning. Lord, and we ask that as we do so, as we leave this countercultural, distinctive kingdom lives, that, Lord, the world would see and give glory to our Father in heaven. Lord, we long for that day. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.